Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. This is Brett Weaver, Anime World Order. It's better than what I thought it was. How did you almost get run over by your dad? I don't know. Tell us the story. I don't know what the problem was. I had to go to campus to go pay my tuition for my summer class. He stopped the car and I got out. The crosswalk was like right in front of the car. And as I'm walking in front of the car, he starts driving and almost runs me over. But while you were in front of the car too, huh? Hmm. Yeah. Do you have a was hefty like... life insurance policy that maybe he no he got a signature <laughs> stamp and then signed 19 life insurance policies? No, you, so. he just hates me. All right, well, we better get started. Welcome to our Legal Age episode of Anime World Order. Yes, it's show number 21. Yay. And we are feeling old. I am Daryl Surratt. And I have cool people with me this week, <laughs> but just this week to celebrate our 21st. Evan, now they're here every week. <laughs> I'm Gerald Rathgold, and I'm battling with a computer that's dying on me. I'm Clarissa, and my day sucked too. I almost get hit by a car. By your dad's car. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to talk about that, but yeah. I wasn't going to talk about the fact that I had to reinstall Windows and everything, and so if this episode sounds crappy, it's because I haven't quite remembered how to reset all the things, but oh well. (laughs) So for the people who just sort of found this show by accident, check out our website at www.animeworldorder.com. So we feel good about all these extensive show notes write-ups that we do. Yeah. Fool us into thinking (laughs) that they're red. Leave comments. (laughs) On the posts and all that. Sign our Frapper map. If you vote for Daryl Surratt only, though. Bullshit. And <laughs> you can leave us correspondence, either through our email address, which is animeworldorder at gmail.com, or if you're feeling particularly adventurous and would like to hear your beautiful voice played on a future episode, maybe, you can call us at 206-666-4296 or 206-6664-AWO, whichever is easier for you to remember, but they're the same number. It's an alphabetical mnemonic. It's an alphabetical <laughs> mnemonic. Although we, we do like the uh, MP3 sent in through email a bit more. Yeah, they tend to mm-hmm. work a little better, but I understand that's real work at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So, this week is an episode that is years in the making, because... <laughs> This week, we're all reviewing things that took us a really long time to watch for various reasons. And coincidentally, they all happen to be about metal in some (laughs) form or fashion. We can't say it's about robots. We can't say it's about mecha. Otherwise, everyone would just hit stop and then just close (laughs) the window. Yeah. So I am going to review the regrettably often overlooked OAV series that is my pick for the best OAV series ever made, and perhaps even the best anime ever made. Certainly one of my favorites, 
Giant Robo, the yes. animation, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Mm-hmm. And I am the totally opposite spectrum of the board. I'm going <laughs> to be taking a look at a work that last episode I said was by Yoshiyuki Tomino. He did have some involvement in it, but it's really not his show. Combattler V. But I thought Tomino worked on Voltus, not Combattler. He worked on both, but Voltus was definitely a bigger deal for him. I believe he was a producer there. Combattler, he worked with the director on it, but it definitely wasn't his show. I don't even think he was credited as staff. Right. Yeah, that's his Tadao Nagashima's baby. And I'm taking a terrifying leap off of a cliff. Gonna finally talk about Saint Seiya, which is enormous. When we started this podcast, we were all like, okay, we're going to review these things someday. And (laughs) today is the day, because we're 21 now. And we've said farewell to the days of youth. On that note, I think we'd better go to the emails. All right. Well, speaking of Saint Seiya, I've got an email from Erwin Rosales, which came in a long time ago, and we didn't read before because we're horrible. He says, hello there, this is Erwin Rosales from Manassas, Virginia. I've been listening to Anime Pulse for a long time, and I just recently downloaded your podcast. It's awesome and funny. The podcast about Odin was hilarious. That seems to be a favorite with people. And I have been downloading all of them. In the episode where you guys replied to your emails, Clarissa pointed out that she was still mad about not getting Saint Seiya here in America. Well, I watched it back in my country, the Spanish version, and it was awesome. It's that kind of anime that gets stuck in your head. So I was thinking if you guys can do a review of Saint Seiya... Not the crap that showed on Cartoon Network. Well, you're in luck because Shaquille O'Neal, as the genie Kazam, (laughs) has granted you your wish. This episode, we'll talk about Saint Seiya. And maybe candy will rain from the sky. Oh, boy. (laughs) It was a very good movie. Was it as good as Steel? Oh. (laughs) People are horrible. He also asks if we could review Captain Tsubasa and 3,000 Leagues in Search of Mother, which we should probably do. I've seen some some of 3,000 Leagues in Search of Mother. I don't know if I can really be an expert to review it, Mm. but Tsubasa is, I know it's hugely popular everywhere else in the world, but in America, it's not really that known a property. And at the same time, it's like, you want to talk about things being just dragged on Dragon Ball Z style. They're... Like three episodes where it's just Subasa about to kick the ball. <laughs> Not even kicking the ball, just everything going through his head as his foot <laughs> is slowly going back. Is it worse than Slam Dunk? I don't know. I can't speak definitively on it since I haven't seen much of Subasa. That's just what I know about it. Slam Dunk to me seems like the worst in the world. but I think Subasa might have it beat. I guess we'll have to watch and see. But yeah, well, the old you series can't is hard really to find. find it. All you can find is the new OAVs, the Road to 2002 OAVs. The original series is... They're is getting it in difficult. Iraq. Yeah, Captain Majid. You should watch Shaolin Soccer, since apparently that was inspired directly by Captain Tsubasa in some way. That's just a good movie in general. It is. Yeah, you gotta Whoa. stop. Yeah, you... You've been sounding pretty terrifying robot voice and it's breaking up and it's not good what the hell's going on you're using a computer that's what's going on well we've got an email from shane haas who wrote into us a couple of weeks ago talking about zapang and in that email he said that he was a big military buff and that he enjoyed zapang and we incorrectly assumed that it was a show that would appeal to military buffs so let me read you this email that he sent us 
Dear AWO crew, in my last email, I seem to have inadvertently given the impression that Sepang is a fairly realistic show. It's not. The show lacks accuracy in many of the details of the battles, the weapons, and the motivations of the American troops, if not the Japanese ones. I stated that I am a military buff not to promote the show's accuracy, but to give credibility to my explanation of the lack of animosity towards Nazis in Japan, which I believe stems from lack of education among Japanese youths about the horror of the conflict. I apologize for misleading you, but I do still enjoy the series, mostly because of my joy of what-if questions about history that comes up in the anime. Zipang is not a show for people who can't stand any inaccuracies such as these military otaku, but is entertaining for those with a more open mind. Speaking of military otaku, what would some examples of shows military otaku watch and enjoy? On an unrelated note, I picked up Prefectural Earth Defense Force as per your recommendation and found it to be humorous if a little short. I especially enjoyed the commentary by the staff of the project, which had a similar feel to your show. I'll continue listening to your show and pick up more interesting things. Just for reference, let me just note that when they mentioned Odin, that was our show number 12, and this most recent email mentions a pang. We talked about that in show number 11. So you can check those out. Tell us what mm-hmm. you think. I guess so, in terms of the military accuracy thing, I know there's a lot of really... the super hardcore World War II, especially World War II and Civil War people. Those people tend to be the most yeah. sticklers for authenticity. I don't know if the Civil War people would be down with another Lady Innocent. Oh, I don't know. I think they would be. It's oh, okay. super accurate. It, I mean, well, perhaps. I mean, I know <laughs> the people who are big into World War II are all over Enemy at the Gates. But actually, it's probably just Russian people. No, I should hate that movie. It just seems to me that you cannot please military otaku completely. Kind of like anime fans. I know that the Ryosuke Takashi stuff is kind of more up their alley, but even then there's complaints. Kaiji Kawaguchi is kind of notorious for being one that you would think would appeal to military otaku, but never does. They had a lot of complaints about silent service. One of these days, Gerald, you're going to get that dude's name right. It's Ryosuke Takahashi, not Ryosuke Takashi. He's probably screaming, fuming in his Japanese stronghold, <laughs> going, Ha! 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 Damn you! The cockpit was mm. something that was fairly accurate, fairly realistic depictions of things. Barefoot Gen, very, yeah. not really a war movie. Not but, really for military otaku either. Yeah, but it's still that era. And same thing goes for Grave of the Fireflies. Those are like the <laughs> realistic style kind of depictions of the conflict. There's a lot of other things where they're pretty hard and loose with how things went down. Like Erda, oh, the shit. Third Reich. Oh, Remember that? Remember that's... how cool that was when they were on the tank treads and they dual-wielded the Panzerfausts and it was drawn by the dude who did the Gungrave cutscenes and... That anime was terrible. <laughs> and it got fucking licensed too, what the hell. The cockpit, I think, is the closest thing to what you were saying, to what they're actually looking for since... Believe it or not, a lot of the military otaku are actually into things like Gundam and Votoms and things like that. For yeah. some reason, that's I what they're, they're drawn to. really realistic. <laughs> I think that they, what they like about those is more the military atmosphere of the show. The, right. Yeah. The fact that people have ranks. How about Legend yeah. of the Galactic Heroes? I haven't heard them talk about that. Then again, I don't hear Japanese fans talk about that at all. Yeah, Yeah, it's not a very popular show. But yeah, I mean, I think if people are into military tactics and the military atmosphere and also politics, that's a great show that I'd recommend. And on the subject of great shows, 
We got another email from Alex McCree. He writes, Hey guys, it's Alex again. I've been upset that you, the letter U, have not read my emails or my discipline reading. I think you meant to say discipline. Please, oh please, play that. I love you guys. If you don't play that reading, I will stop listening. He's never sent us a discipline reading. We never delete any of the emails. I can see all the emails he's ever sent to us. He's never sent us a discipline reading. Also, what do... You guys think of Love, Hina. I know you guys hate Harry Men anime and manga. Hey, I like Cromarty High School, but I don't care what <laughs> you guys think of it. I have two volumes of the manga. Yeah, I know what you're thinking, Y-O-U-R. Oh, he's a 12-year-old perv. And for the record, he's already written us an email asking us what we thought about Love, Hina, and I already responded back to him saying we just answered it in the show that we had just posted. But I guess he's asking us anyway. And regarding the, oh, he's a 12-year-old perv, he wrote in his very first email that he was 12 years old and that he watches hentai. He mm. says, what I think of the anime manga is that it's not as bad as AI Love You, which is not really a ringing endorsement. That's like saying <laughs> it's not as bad as Root Search when you're talking about <laughs> bad anime. He continues, in fact, I bought a copy of AI Love You and burned it along with my dirty socks. I laughed and laughed and laughed. Because that is the most freaking typical hairy men manga ever. I enjoyed your Joey Snack Pants episode, because I am such a noob with conventions, and I still listen to the Odin review over and over and over again. So yeah, if you do end up reading this, thanks. And if you do, please, please, please play my discipline reading! Ten exclamation points. See ya! <laughs> I guess at this point we would play a discipline reading if one was sent to us, but... It wasn't, so we'll go to the and voicemails. What did, would it would be read by a 12-year-old kid. Yeah, that's what would make it all the better. Hmm. I hear anime fans are into that. But then couldn't they, like, arrest us for contributing to the delinquency of a minor? Probably, I guess. <laughs> anyway, we got a voicemail from a denizen of the internet. <laughs> a while back, we had mentioned that Jeff Tatarik had a time machine, a special time machine where he went back in the 80s to talk to Synthesizer Patel, and I had mentioned that the Maharaja Mac Daddy didn't have anything on the S to the P. And so, one day when Googling for his own name, the Maharaja Mac Daddy discovered our podcast and sent us a voicemail, and here it is. Oh, man. Hey, all you bitches at Anime World Order. You know who this is. The Maharaja Magdari calling to regulate on you punk-ass bitches. What is up with this uh, synthesizer Patel? That man is a joke. His Indian accent is so fake. Even... Uh, Apocalypse Dowl can do a better job than that. So, uh, how about you get your act together and uh, get episode 17 in tip-top shape? I don't want to see more about uh, on Google that uh, the Maharaja McDaddy ain't got nothing on the S to the P. It's like four it is totally results. an utter joke. I mean, come on, man. That was the worst accent I've ever heard. Very uncool. You can't be bomb diggity like me. You don't got no ladies. You're not the Maharaja Magdaddy. So stop trying. <laughs> oh, and uh, in the words of the great Abhishek Bachchan, peace out, good boys. 
Pachan is the actor who played Don. <laughs> See, everybody knows about Don. Yes. Briefcase throwing. It's not even a remotely famous role of his. It's just one of a billion roles, but... It doesn't matter, it should we, be. We have ladies. Maharaja Mac Daddy. We've got yeah. Clarissa. She kind of counts, even though she's, she's got like half extra. the guy. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. So all you people who said her voice was so sexy, well, man, now that you know, <laughs> Apocalypse Dow. That's just low, man. That dude's just built an army. He's got like ten podcasts, all swearing allegiance to the Apocalypse Dow Empire because of his really terrifying Mr. T impersonation <laughs> that he refuses to do. I don't get his show. I like listen to his show and it's all about, I played Nintendo DS today, then I went to the store and bought ham. I live in Japan. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Hugely popular. Maybe it's the podcast novel thing. I'll have to investigate it more, but Apocalypse Dial is like the Putan. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I haven't uh, figured out the mystery yet. Someday I shall. Every time you think you've got it, they trip you up. Indeed. Yeah. Now that we've gotten these terrifying insults levied toward Jeff Deterrick, a.k.a. Rich Lather, who had gone to so much trouble to channel Synthesizer Patel's spirit through himself, perhaps we should actually play a voicemail that he sent us just the other day. So here we go. Good day, AWO Cabal. Jeff Deterrick here again, speaking to you with my voice. As always, the show's terrific, and I look forward voice. to each episode. Big thanks to Clarissa for clearing up my confusion over Marimite. All this time, I've been calling it Maramite, as if it were some kind of Australian yeast spread. <laughs> to Gerald, I thank you for your continued diligence in presenting the best in hentai reviews this side of Mike Tool's hentai jump. Your segment on Another Lady Innocent prompted me to go out and buy... No, wait, that's wrong. Let's try that again. Your segment on Another Lady Innocent prompted me to search for a torrent and download it. Yeah, that's right. It is indeed beautifully animated, <laughs> uh -huh. and as mentioned before, it does give you an excellent fuck-for-your-buck ratio. <laughs> One bit of news I want to throw out to you guys. Your listeners may or may not have heard about that brilliant selection of $1 DVDs available at Walmart. They're put yes. out by Digiview Entertainment and offer only the best in really, really shitty Asian anime of indeterminate origin. South Korea, Hong Kong, wherever. We're talking instant classics like Space Thunder Kids, Protector of Universe, and Beauty and Warrior, which has hey, bar none the Indian worst fight scene ever committed is, to celluloid. Yes. Something like but it's still really six terrifying. different scenes, and that's it, just wrapped over and over again. Got it well, right now they've gone and outdone themselves. There's another batch of titles out there. Last week, I spent the princely sum of $4 to get Raiders of Galaxy, Solar Adventure, Thunder Prince, and Space Transformers. Now, this last one is of special note because it's a repackaged and redubbed version of that legendary turd burger, Micro Commando Diatron 5. It should not be missed if only to hear the Diatron 5 theme in its original language. Finally, to he who must be destroyed, or something, Daryl Surratt. What? I know I've gone on a bit longer than most voicemails, so I'm going to wrap this up in under 90 seconds. Yes, Daryl, as you've just heard, I too am now a Common Rider Kabuto fan. 
I'm also watching Kamen Rider Fies and the latest Sentai show, or rather, next year's Power Rangers show, Go Go Sentai, Okenger. The TV Nihon BitTorrent site is like a never-ending spring of rubber-suited goodness. I took advantage of the Miss Critical Moment Torrent link you provided with Show 19's show notes. Suffice it to say that if I have anything to say about it, some of these will be shown at OhioCon Anime Hell next January. It's never too early to pimp. <laughs> and lastly, I hear you've got an extra Padley for the Movie box set. That really overpriced one, you know. I'm going to tell you why it should come my way. I cleaned up an Arctic animation version of the first movie, re-subtitled it so that it actually had complete sentences, and even went so far as to add in a parody subtitling job on the short live-action Making Of featurette that was after the movie. I also chipped in on the fan-sub effort for the second movie. Just Google for Jeff Deterrick and Padley Burn, it's right there at the top of the page. And finally, have you forgotten that I was once the living embodiment of the AV-98 Ingram? To conclude, there cannot possibly be someone considered a cooler Pat Labor fan around, and I'm not just saying that because I completely missed an anime on DVD contest. In fact, I'll bet you don't even have the guts to send me that DVD, Daryl. That's right, it's a challenge. I dare you to send me that DVD, Surratt. I double-dog dare you. Please? Lock over. Oh, oh, we'll just see about that. We'll uh-huh. see who's gonna not send you a $90 DVD. Actually... <laughs> Yeah, he has a pretty convincing case. I, Ryan, that is true. He Ryan Gavin sent me the Ingram picture. I'll put it in the show notes. It's an amazing outfit, Matt. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think, really, I think Jeff really Deterrick good. wins by default. I didn't consider him because I thought he just bought it already. Well, perhaps mm. we should wait and see if anyone else can beat him. Perhaps, although, I don't know. So, it's hard, but I think we should give others a chance. Yeah, we'll give others the chance to fail. That's all they ask for, and that's all they'll <laughs> receive. This dude interviewed the ghost of Osamu Tezuka and Carl Masick and his brother Skippy the Glowman with the boot. I mean, what, what else can top that? I don't know. I guess that's going to do it for our emails this week. Someday we'll try and answer more of them in a more timely fashion. It's yeah. our fault for being so thorough in our responses. That's what we are, right? That's, that's why what we takes... say every episode, though. So. Really? Do, do people believe it yet? No. They don't believe anything about us. So. No, no, come on. We have never told a lie on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, we all have. We, all we do no. is inform people of coming up. You know, that a review which people don't of, know about of Tomino's show, Combat Alert V. <laughs> that is just a smokescreen meant to keep people on their toes. <laughs> kind of like you know, all the intentional mistakes that were put into the Clash of the Bionoids. Mm-hmm. The intentional mistakes that were meant for the people who were looking at it as a English teaching tool that they were supposed to catch. It's the same thing along those lines. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the news already. Let's news! Working to restore power. Okay, and as usual, we have the news, and thank God we have a really, really, really short news week this week. So, this is a little bit of news that I found on Anime News Service, and I just mention this because a lot of us have read things like scantillations and such. And this Where's is about the TA come from in that. <laughs> I've been trying to figure that out for ages. I've never managed to crack the mystery. Because it's like I think scans what it comes and from... translations, and scantulations, like it's scantulous, or I don't know what. <laughs> Maybe it's just easier to say it. I don't think. It's an extra syllable. How can it be easier? It flows off the tongue better. Scanlation. Translation. 
Do I don't you? know. I think scantillation is flows better. <laughs> Let's see. Well, anyway, basically it talks about how three people were recently sentenced in Fukuoka. These people apparently uploaded some scans to a website called 464.jp. They were given a penalty of 500,000 yen, which is about $45,000, and a three-year prison sentence. This is all for uploading scans of manga. This is kind of weird because a lot of us have read scanolations, scantilations before, and a lot of those do actually come from people just getting them off of books in Japan. And this is done by the Japanese, and apparently they're cracking down pretty heavily. Japan's always been, like, super crazy about nobody being able to, like, use any official artwork. Like, even if, like, if you have a fan website in Japan, they don't even want you to use any official artwork at all on your fan website. Fan art is fine, but if you take a scan from an art book or something to put on your clamp fan site or whatever, they're like, ah, burn you at the stake. They're I actually really thought a lot it. of the uploading and scanning of manga was done by people here who'd import things. For example, all the doujinshi we see, most people yeah. who speak English equate doujinshi with porn, but that's because the doujinshi that gets scanned is almost exclusively porno. Right, because it's mostly yeah. bought by people who don't speak Japanese or read Japanese, right. there's, so it's there's like nothing the porn, to understand Yeah, they porn, they don't need to read it. Yeah. Well, actually, there's an enormous amount of Japanese sites that scan their own doujinshi. Mm -hmm. And I think they do scan a wide variety of it, although I'm not sure. Yeah, but you'd be but, surprised at the conception but, of people that they don't realize that pornographic doujinshi is a very, very small subset of the total amount yeah. of doujinshi now, that do, gets made. Don't quantify it too much. It's not very, very small. It's like no. it's, it shares a day with something else at Comic-Cat. It's one-sixth of Comic-Cat, so that's not very, very small. And let's not forget also that this is the country that freaks out about people selling used manga and doujins. So <laughs> It's where Sony exists, and Sony has good ideas <laughs> like, hey, these games you buy, you don't actually own them. You just yeah. own the license to play them. P.S. If you break your disc, we won't replace it. Anyway, on with really, 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 really shitty news. As if we didn't have <laughs> enough of a reason to hate Moe, there is not going to be a Genshiken Season 2. There's going to be a Kujibiki Unbalanced TV series instead. Now, yeah, for those see, of you, those of you who haven't seen, you the didn't believe and don't us really that know, Moe was evil. You didn't believe us, and now look, it has stolen another season of Genshiken uh, from us. Right. For those of you who don't know, we talked about Genshiken way back, like episode two, that there was going to be a second season. And part of Genshiken is that the characters are watching this really shitty show called Kujibiki Unbalanced. And it's this really typical high school Moe show. Every episode is a contest. It's so bad. And, and yeah. in the context of the show of watching Genshiken, it's a kind of a funny little show. Yeah, that so they're all have, so crazy over this yeah. terrible piece of crap show. Right. Getting but a whole entire season of it? Episodes instead of Genshiken, which is a far superior thing. Oh, and the first man. season of Genshiken only got, what, 12 episodes? Right. They actually finished up everything short, that had been... It? No, it, from what I understand... They animated everything that had been uh, put in the manga form at okay, that point. to that point. Mm -hmm. But yeah. see, here's the thing. People always ask, why do you hate the cosplayer so much? Why do you hate the moe so much? Can't you just let people enjoy what they enjoy and to each their own? And I say, sure, that's all good and well, until these things start happening at the expense of shit I actually care about. Fine, have your creepy, pedorific, lowly bait show... As long as I can have the show that I'd like, but now the type of shows I would like 
are just not even being made anymore. They're being phased out in favor of making more shit like this. So yeah, I'm going to be mad at that point. This is really shitty news. Yeah, uh, Genshin this is, is a yeah. really brilliant series, and I advise everyone to buy the show, to read the yes. manga, and all that. Yes, all of it. Maybe more people buy... Trash. Maybe will enough people keep buying the DVDs in America, then possibly Media Blasters will finance another season of Genshin instead of fucking Kujibiki. I, I don't, don't know. know. Media Blasters would uh. finance more... Berserk before they'd finance more. Probably, Genshin. but I mean, I'm trying to Not like to think positive. Away from I'm trying to think positive here, people. Okay. God, I mean, I think the bonus episodes of Kujibiki Unbalanced that came with Genshiken were fine. Like, I don't really. I thought that they we were really funny need in an entire 26 episode season of nothing but mushrooms and stupid contests. No, we don't. No. That's you know what else? No, either. You, That's all there is in that show. It's a bunch of like cute, creepy little, you know, five-year-old looking girls that are actually supposed to be in high school or whatever, having contests every single episode, and they're all really stupid contests and talking about mushrooms. You know what else is happening? These things, these shows within shows that are meant to be bad as a sort of commentary on otaku mm. that end up getting made. On the subject of that, they're making a little OAV or thing out of. Mina, that thing from yeah. Densha Otoko? Really? Yeah, it's like, come on, this show is... About that for a while, yeah. It, has it been out for a while, or have we known no, about it No, it's just been talking so. Yeah, people have been talking about it for a while, but it's just, it's the same type of thing. It's like, when's the last time that there's been a show within a show that was actually good? I mean, Gekiganger 3 is the only one I can think of. Yeah, when do we get 26 mm. episodes of Gekiganger 3? Yeah, the OAV for it was really good, though. I can't think of any other... Thing offhand, I mean, we don't often see the show within a show things. Yeah, and right. it, the, the thing is, is it's a parody as long as it's short. But once you get like this yeah. whole show, you become the thing you're parodying. Folks. That's what yeah. I feel too. Is that like Kyokara Mao is like sixty six episodes? I don't know. Maybe that's a bad example. That that seemed to be like a parody of something. Yeah. And you can't go on that long and be a parody without becoming that show. Ah, uh, so. Yeah, yeah now shitty. my spirits are down, and I was feeling kind of good about life since, you know... You were never feeling good about life, hey, Daryl. Hey. Bullshit! You have no feelings about life. No, the Enron dudes got found guilty, and I was feeling pretty good about that, and then I reminded myself, well, I better wait till the sentencing, and then this came along. No, Genshiken, sorry. Have some Kujibiki unbalance. Yeah. Some, what's the abbreviation? Kujium. Yeah, Kujium, yeah. Stupid fucking Japanese fans, what the hell's wrong with you? Yeah, on the Do not want! Stupid fucking Japanese fans. They've let us down many, many times in the past. And that brings Constantly. us to this next segment that I'm going to have to go into right now to lift my spirits back up. i got to start talking about Giant Robo, which is going to simultaneously bring my mood up and kill it again. <laughs> but first, these messages. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ichigo. I'm Balto. And we're Anime Pulse. We got our fingers on the pulse of anime. Do you like anime but you don't know what to watch? We love anime and watch it all the time. So if you want the true fan's perspective on the latest and greatest in Japan, rants, discussions, or stories about anime, then we're the ones to check out. So check out Anime Pulse at www.anime-pulse.com. Hey, you kids! 
What are you doing on my lawn? Oh, snap. It's old man Chigo. We better run for it. Run! Don't make me come out there. I'm not really one for making ranked lists of favorite this and least favorite that, but when I have to list just one anime as an example of my favorite thing, like say if I'm filling out a anime con registration form or something like that, Giant Robo is a title I'm very likely to pick as my favorite anime of all time. And that's probably why I put off doing a review of it for so long. I don't know, I wasn't sure if I could do it justice. I'm still not sure? Here goes anyway. Giant Robo is a seven-part OAV that was made over the course of roughly ten years. It was written and directed by one of my favorite anime directors, a kind of overlooked guy named Yasuhiro Imagawa. But before I talk about him, I have to talk about someone else first. The late, great Mitsuteru Yokoyama. Yokoyama was, along with Osamu Tezuka, one of the early pioneers in the medium of manga. The work of his that's probably best known to Americans is Gigantor, or as it's known in Japan, Tetsujin 28. Gigantor was the very first giant robot show, and it's still remembered to this day by people who aren't even anime fans. The original Gigantor series was, and actually, is it still rerunning on the Cartoon Network at like 5 No, it isn't. Okay, it's not. No. Well, it used no, it's, to... it's been replaced by Mr. T. Oh, well, at least it's a worthy <laughs> replacement. Yeah. But yeah, you can still buy the original Gigantor series on DVD, plus there's been several remakes of it over the years, the most recent of which is currently being released by Genion, and it's actually made by many of the same people who made Giant Robo, so I'll review that at a later date. But yeah, Yokoyama created several series over the years, such as Babel II, which Streamline Pictures released a version of a while back that was about a super-powerful psychic boy, Sally the Witch, which was the very first Magical Girl show and was largely inspired by the old TV sitcom Bewitched, actually. All you Magical Girl fans out there, you owe your livelihood to Elizabeth Montgomery and Dick York. <laughs> he also did Comet Son. That got a remake a few years back, too. Yes, Ed, it did. Ed Hill mm. liked that one a lot. Other shows he made, there was one called Masked Ninja Akakage, or Red Shadow, Mars, God Mars, no relation between the two, not necessarily. <laughs> and the two titles that are probably what I would consider his life works, Romance of the Three Kingdoms and Suikoden. Yeah, those aren't just video games, people. They're actually... No. Yeah, they're actually manga retellings. In this case, they're manga retellings of two of the four great classical novels of Chinese literature. The other two, for the record, were Journey to the West, which has inspired tons of anime, such as Dragon Ball and Gensaman Sayuki. Yeah. And the fourth one is Dream of the Red Chamber. Bottom line, this dude, Mitsuteru Yokoyama, is a guy on the level of people like Osamu Tezuka and Shotaro Ishinomori. He wrote something like 230 or God knows how many volumes worth of stuff. One of his titles that had existed in manga format as well as a live-action show was called Giant Robo, or as the live-action show was known in America, Johnny Sacco and his flying robot. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, boy, that was a good piece of something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, re- they took some episodes, cut them together, made a movie out of it. It's kind of a cult classic remembered thing. But suffice it to say, no anime had been made of Giant Robo. And so in the 90s, back when OAVs were riding high and tall, Bandai went and gave Yasuhiro Imagawa the task of making Giant Robo the animation. But there was one caveat. For legal reasons, he wasn't allowed to use the characters that were in the previous versions of Giant Robo. 
how do you do a remake of something if you can't use the characters? Well, being the true professional that he is, Imagawa went to Yokoyama himself, because he was still alive at the time, he only died a few years back, to get some advice on what to do. And as proof of how much cooler Mitsuteru Yokoyama is, or was, I should say, than that wannabe wizard loser dude, Alan Moore, Yokoyama said, you know what? I just make comics. I don't know anything about making movies. I don't know anything about making animation. I know this. The book is the book. The movie is the movie. Go ahead. Do whatever you want with every one of my characters from everything I ever created. And at that point, I like to think that Imagawa then sort of looked at him quizzically and said, Everyone, sir? At which point, Yokoyama must have burst a vein in his forehead and, you know, whipped his neck and shouted, EVERYONE! <laughs> so that's precisely what he did. Giant Robo, the animation, is a massive tribute to Yokoyama's entire career. It incorporates characters and designs from practically his entire body of work. Everything in it is a reference to something, and everyone's a character originally taken from something else. This is why in the retro-futuristic world that Giant Robo takes place in, there's people in modern-day suits standing right beside people dressed in feudal Chinese robes or Japanese armor. It's because some of the characters were taken from those novel adaptations of the old Chinese works, and some were from the science fiction robot titles. Just so you know, even though the animation is very fluid, the art design is faithful to Yokoyama's old designs from back in the 60s. So if you can't stand that style of artwork because, ooh, it looks old and you refuse to watch anime based solely on that, then one, Stop watching anime you're altogether. a shallow, superficial cunt and you need to look at yourself <laughs> in the mirror and accept that. Two, I hate you. Mm-hmm. Three, fuck your mother in the ass with a broomstick and break it off. Then have her waddle over to you, beat you upside the head for being such a... Yeah, so (laughs) some of the characters, they had to be changed, and so some of the heroes were made villains, vice versa, but most of the people in the U.S. who watch and adore Giant Robo the Animation, including myself, weren't even aware of any of this stuff when they first watched it. The reason is is because it's not actually necessary to know or understand in order to enjoy or make sense out of it. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, Here's another thing they might not know, were it not for this podcast. The Giant Robo anime is basically... The middle part of a theoretical trilogy. Imagine if the only Star Wars movie that ever got made was The Empire Strikes Back. That's sort of what Giant Robo is. There's an immediate plotline, and that gets completely resolved within the course of the story, but there's also this greater overarching conflict in the background. In fact, much like how Star Wars had subtitles for each episode, Giant Robo is the same way. The subtitle for this animation is The Day the Earth Stood Still which is a reference to the classic 1950s sci-fi movie. So I guess the full title of this anime is, deep breath, Giant Robo, the animation, the day the Earth stood still. And then each episode has a full-length episode title on top of that. God. You ever notice that when Daryl Surratt allegedly reviews anime, he never really talks about what the anime is <laughs> You notice how Daryl Surratt has started talking about himself in the third person? So you never, like you so never tell whether or not you personally like the anime or not, because he just starts saying things kind of related to the anime. Yeah, I hate that too. I wish he'd stop that. But yeah, with, without giving away too much, the premise of Giant Robo, it's pretty much encapsulated within the opening narration spoken at the beginning of each episode. In the world of the future, an invention called the Shizuma Drive has revolutionized life as we know it. I mean, mild spoiler here, but as established in the very first episode, it's an unlimited, renewable, non-polluting source of energy. 
and it's gained widespread use, and it's thus brought about an age of global prosperity since wars have ended and all that. But, unbeknownst to the average person, there's a secret war going on between two factions. There's Cobra, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to take a... Wait, not... Mm-hmm. Not Cobra. Yeah, no. Fucked up. Yeah. Big Fire, a ruthless <laughs> terrorist organization determined to take over the world. And the only thing standing in their way is a daring, highly trained special missions for... Not not G.I. Joe. The ICPO, (laughs) or Interpol, and they've created a large group of heroes known as the Experts of Justice. Among them is a young boy who commands Giant Robo, the mightiest robot on Earth. His name is Daisaku Kusama. And to say much more beyond that is to risk giving away too much, but I'll try and continue anyway. Remember what I said about the Chinese classical novels? All right. Yasuhiro Imagawa's style of storytelling is very greatly inspired by those novels, as well as the wuxia novels of Jin Yang. He wrote things such as the Condor Heroes trilogy, and those have been made in several live-action Hong Kong TV shows and comic books, and even there's a Condor Hero anime, which I should talk about someday. An example of the wuxia style of storytelling that everybody knows about would be the movie Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. So the heroes in these tales, they're all capable of superhuman feats. They fly through the air, they move with blinding speed their strength is that of a thousand men and so on and so forth and so it is that with the exception of daisaku everyone in giant robo and in fact everyone in many of imagawa's other works they're all gifted with these incredible powers and special abilities and you're just gonna have to see for yourself what those are since i don't want to give it away suffice it to say roy mustang from full metal alchemist you're a wannabe i'm on to you roy mustang the amazing thing about giant robo why is it something I like so much? It's the kind of thing that sounds like something really derivative, really formulaic, and cookie-cutter from the description of it. And I think under the helm of someone less capable, that would have been exactly the case. But this is clearly a labor of love and not money. And so it takes all these elements that by all rights are worn-out cliches, and it makes them interesting and multidimensional. And so the end result is that each episode is, much like Gal Gygar, better than the one before it. The implication of this is that the first two episodes are the worst, so to speak. I know a lot of people who think they're really slow. But they're still essential, since they set up everything. They're meant to establish the universe and the primary characters, and set up the mysteries. And, man, there's mysteries upon mysteries right from the start. You often see this technique done in anime, just raise a whole bunch of mysteries and have things seem confusing. But you rarely see it done well, because all too often... People do the it is a mystery card as a smokescreen to the fact that they don't really know what they're doing, that they're just (laughs) making it up as they go along. Not so with Giant Robo. All the questions pertaining to the immediate conflict are properly answered at an acceptable rate. It's not like Twin Peaks or the X-Files or Lost, where they just string people along forever and don't really answer everything until long after everyone stops caring if that. Evangelion didn't extend its influence here, folks. It was before that. If only more anime studios would just block out your whole story and then do even your first episode. Maybe then there wouldn't be so many shitty endings. I guess we have nobody to blame for ourselves since Giant Robo was not popular at all in Japan. And a big part of that is because it's got a noticeable lack of fan service. In fact, there's only about three females in the entire series, one of which is a little girl one of whom used to be a man in the original work, leaving one girl and that's it, pretty much. So it was far more popular here in America, and that's really disheartening since practically nobody here in America knows what Giant Robo is. 
And I know you're asking yourself, wait a second, if you've been listening to our previous shows, how can a robot show be more popular here in America than Japan if everyone here hates robots and most people don't even consider watching Giant Robo because it has the word Robo in it? I think it's because of this. One of the central themes of Giant Robo is, what in the world can you do in the face of absolutely dire adversity for which there's no hope of winning against? The experts of justice, the heroes, they may be superhuman, but they're still completely totally outclassed by their enemies. The leaders of the Big Fire organization are known as the Magnificent Ten. And any one of these guys is capable of just decimating all the experts by themselves. And so it is that the majority of Giant Robo's many action scenes consist not of robot fights, but of these super-powered kung fu battles. I would describe it as like Dragon Ball Z, only without the standing around, powering up, and stalling for time. But mm. then it wouldn't be like Dragon Ball Z. I don't know. It's, I don't remember fireballs too much in it, so... It's just really people fighting. Yeah, so this is probably why people who want to see Giant Robo are very quick to classify the Magnificent Ten and Big Fire among their favorite anime villains and evil organizations of all time. It's because of that. So overall, I really recommend everyone, especially non-Mecha fans, to watch Giant Robo. It's truly epic in scope as well as design, and I think the soundtrack really helps that. It's from the Warsaw Philharmonic Orchestra, and they also did work in the Battle Royale movies, for one. And I believe Escaflone. Yes, the movie. They've done a few things in anime, and I would say that the score to Giant Robo is one of the most memorable scores that anime has to offer. Now, Media Blasters has released the entire series on DVD in Region 1. There's also an extra disc entitled The Ginray Special. Those are kind of the opposite of Giant Robo. They're very fan-service-heavy, they're really silly, they don't really have any bearing on Giant Robo itself. Those were kind of released during the really long waits between some of the episodes, because this took about a decade to come out. Mm -hmm. The three discs for Giant Robo, and the one disc for the Ginray Special, they're all currently available for pretty cheap, but they're probably not in stores anymore. But, at the end of July, they're going to release a brick containing all four volumes, and the MSRP for that is about $25. You'll probably be able to get that for about $15. Trust me, that's going to be the best value for anime you'll get, ever. If I meet anyone after that point when that brick comes out who owns Advent Children on DVD and they don't own Giant Robo, those people can't be cool friends with me, alright? You hear me? So you better go out and buy it, because you want to be friends with Daryl Surratt, right? <laughs> right? Mm. Right? Think about that. Folks. If you're in Australia... That's how I'll get rid of Daryl. Oh. <laughs> hey. Well, if you're in Australia, Giant Robo is actually available courtesy of Madman Entertainment, and they actually now have their own podcast. It's called Anime Snack Time. You can. It's um, a very corporate podcast, by very, the way. So you yeah, know. very much like the right stuff and the ADV ones. What do you expect from an official thing as opposed to a fan thing? But I guess one last thing. If you watch Giant Robo, watch it in the Japanese. I know a lot of people have really fond nostalgia for the original dub because it's really melodramatically acted out. But there's some alterations to the script that just break the narrative. And Mm. since Giant Robo came out over such a long period of time, the original dub that was made, the cast completely changes from episode to episode. (laughs) But Media Blasters did redub the whole things themselves, keeping the consistent cast, while also including the original dub as an extra. But I know a lot of people don't really like the new dub because they think it doesn't have as much soul or spirit to it. So just stick to the original language track. I understand that Big Fire's slogan in the original dub sounds the best, and that's what everyone, including me, prefers to use. Together, on the Legion of Death, Big Fire! That's what everyone remembers. 
Yeah. I also understand that everybody vividly remembers one particular character who I'm not going to name, but he's only got about three scenes, and he's on camera for like five minutes, and everyone remembers him because they dubbed him like a beatnik. <laughs> but I got to bring myself down. We were talking about this whole no season two against Ken because everyone would rather see Kujibiki on balance. Because of the lack of female characters and fan service in Giant Robo, we are never going to see the end of Giant Robo, and we're never going to see all the stuff that happened before. Because nobody cares other than a few people here, and that's it. Yeah. Now I'm sad again. Too. Now I'm sad. Now, didn't you they're... ask Imagawa yourself what it would take? Yes, I met for... Yasuhiro Imagawa personally when he came to America, like right as G Gundam was starting to air on Cartoon Network. He came to do some lectures in America, and I drove quite a ways to meet him. And I asked him, what would it take? to make more Giant Robo. And he's gone on record saying, oh, if they ever make more, I think they may someday, but I'm not going to do it. Someone else will have to do it. And I asked him, what would it take for you to make more of this? And he said, it would have to sell as well as Ghost in the Shell to warrant Bandai making more of it. Because really, as nice a release as Giant Robo has always gotten, the DVD release of it is fantastic. The laser discs are incredible. Even Media Blasters tried. They had their heart in the right place with releasing the special eye box, but it actually ended up being really shitty, so don't buy that. Just buy the brick when it comes out. It'll be super cheap. It always gets really nice releases. It has a ton of great extras. It's got commentary tracks. and By the uh, original Japanese people. Yeah, not way, like dub actor, ADR director, cool person. Actual Japanese staff, commentary, and actual Japanese voice actors and all that. Yet... I don't know, there just there isn't very much merchandise for Giant Robo, there aren't posters or even knockoffs. I don't get it. This seems to be one of those shows very much like Legend of the Galactic Heroes that has a very dedicated but very small fan base. I don't really meet people who are mm. casual fans of Giant Robo who are like, oh, I liked it. They're usually really into the show and have everything that is available for the show, even though it's extremely little. Right. I've actually shown Giant Robo to people who don't really like anime. They'll be like, oh, maybe they'll have seen Ninja Scroll or something like that. And they'll all tend to like Giant Robo, although a lot of them will say they thought it was pretty slow in the beginning. I, upon rewatching it, I actually didn't think that it was all that slow. But, yeah, check out Giant Robo. It's worth your time. If you don't like it, then just stop watching anime, because what are you watching anime for? If you're not watching for cool things, <laughs> I guess Moe people aren't gonna like Giant Robo. But no, em. it's it's not very Moe. It's anti Moe, yes. and therefore it gets the Anime World Order seal of approval. Trust me on this one. In the rare event that you've never seen the show and you're watching it all per the recommendation of mine, and someday you go out and watch this show, write in, tell me what you think about it. Answer me a question: Can happiness be achieved without sacrifice? Let me know the answer someday. Thursday, May 4th, 2006. Waiting in the pre-registration line. So, so you just cut through line just to laugh? Yes, pretty much. So you just lost your spot? No. Curse you! The waiting is almost over. Central, the three-part Anime Central 2006 audio coverage, coming soon. This is going to be a ride. 
Home buying one to three Four five six get it done Daiki wo yurugasu chouten no boy Seimi no senshi da kombat o rapui Chouten yo yo Chouten atsumaki Chouten jisuki we go from a classic anime to, well, kind of another classic anime. A, a different bit, kind of classic. Kind of a different sort of classic, yeah. Now, before I go too far into it, I should mention that we run a uh, little meeting over where we are, and we run this meeting about once every Friday. Typically, we do this so that we can get through stuff. We watch about two episodes of every show a week. We always try to watch a giant robot show, and one of the shows that we were watching was Combattler V. We wanted to try out some really old-school, pre-Gundam giant robot shows, and this one is pretty well-known. I'm going to do something that I don't think I've done before, in a review, and I'm going to spoil the end of this show, but I'm not going to spoil the middle. And there's a good reason for that. Yeah, I was going to say, you should probably explain why that now, is. Before I go too far, Combattler V is the first part of the Robot Romance Trilogy. This is a series that is basically the child of Tadao Nagahama, and they went from 1976 to 1979. Combattler V was the first Voltus 5 was the second. Now, Voltus 5 is also spelled with a V, but it's 5. Dimos <laughs> was the third. And there's actually a fourth called Deltinus, or Delta Anus, or something like that. <laughs> I'm not too sure how to pronounce it. Deltanius. Deltanius. <laughs> I like Delta Anus. Basically, Combattler V supposedly a very different approach to a giant robot show. While all giant robot shows, to an extent, are supposed to sell toys... The Robot Romance Trilogy was meant to incorporate a dramatic story with human conflict and compassion. And Sorry. to an extent, come on, to an extent, it does that for the first half. Now, the problem that we have is that we don't have the mind frame of watching this in 1976. We have Gundam, which changed the world, and then we had Gunbuster, which changed it again. That's and true. So this show probably had quite a lot of drama and compassion for 1976. Now, the show itself, today it seems like a very typical, straightforward, five-person, giant robot show. You have the main character, Hyoma. He's like every other superhero in a giant robot show. He's the hot-blooded yeah. male character. Then you have his buddy, Juzo. Juzo is cool because he likes guns, and he dresses in Civil War gear all the time. And he's an Olympic-level marksman. Then you Sounds have... like Jeff Tatarek. Yeah. <laughs> or Stevie have... B. <laughs> He's a bit thinner than Stevie B. Yeah. Uh, Daisaku Nishikawa, this guy is your typical fat guy. And There's always a fat guy. There's always a fat guy, and he has almost no lines in the entire show, I guess. Yeah. He jo enjoys well, judo. Well, the, and... the fat guy never really does anything. He's just kind of there. Yeah, he's basically, to make up the five, he's a country boy. Then you yeah. have Chizuru, who is the girl. And then you have Kyosuke, who is the brilliant young boy who invents all this crap. In the very first episode, he travels around 
in this luggage that he invented that turns into like a go-go gadget style type of helicopter. <laughs> they're brought together by Professor Nanbara and they're meant to operate the Combatler V to fight against the Campellians. And the Campbell. Yeah, Campbell. Empire. Depending now, this on... was the first five-person robot team, wasn't it? I can't be certain of that. I don't know of any ones that came mm. before it. It is the but, first. But as far yeah. as I can tell, it's the first. And wasn't it also the first combining robot? No, no it wasn't. No? Getter Robo was the first combining Robo? robot. That's true. This was yeah. the first five people five combined. combined. Getter Robo was okay. just three. It combined the insane concept of the Sentai show with the giant robot show. Yeah. So. The uh, Kyanbel Empire is headed up by Orleana, depending on how it's spelled, who is kind of the mother figure, and she's invading Earth. I don't want to get into the storyline here. It is a very basic, straightforward storyline for mm -hmm. a giant robot show. It is aliens invade the Earth for whatever reason, and every episode they come up with some giant monster, and the Combatler V team have to fight them. Yep. Now, the first half of the show is a lot of fun. The main villain in that is a really cool guy called Garuda. Yes. And now, Garuda, I would compare him to, and he's not as cool as this guy, but this is as close as I can get. He's kind of like Deslock. He I was going to compare him to Lotor also from Voltron, which came much later. But Yeah, uh, that's a good comparison. He doesn't have a bunch of girls lazing around. I was going to compare him to a giant pterodactyl who accompanies <laughs> Babel II. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty close. He actually does have a woman, and it's a really good role for a woman. She's stuck in a wall and can't move. <laughs> She's like furniture. <laughs> yeah, anyway, he, he she... lacks Lotor's dancing girls or Deslock's bitches, but he does have the chick in the wall. He is kind of a cool villain, and he is basically the first half of the show, the first 26 episodes. Now... I don't want to go too much into it, but the second 26 episodes, episode 24, 25, 26, are awesome. Really awesome. The this ending is good of that stuff first that's story arc. Here. Yeah. This is why I don't want to spoil the middle of the show, because it is really, really good. Now, the story behind this, and I heard this from Daryl, and Daryl heard this from someone else at a panel. The story was that they just were not getting enough kids watching the show. So what they said was, hey... Well, that's what happened. <clears throat> let's add in some really asshole piece-of-shit kids. Let's add the scrappy-doos of the show. Right. Yes. And so, and so, so they, Tamino actually had some involvement with that portion prior to that. And then they right. said, oh, the ratings are in the yeah. toilet. we got to do something. Also, that's kind of when the enemy monster designs went totally in the crapper. Yeah, everything basically went to the crapper. really ridiculous and stupid. Basically, they introduce this one main villain. Her name is Empress Genera, something like that. And she'd be kind of cool, but just imagine this. Let's just imagine you're watching one of these shitty kind of robot shows, and they introduce these villains, and it's kind of a throwaway episode, and these are kind of crappy villains, and you're like, oh, thank God it's only one episode, and they're gone. Now imagine that for 26 episodes where you have the same villains. That's what happens. You get these two guys. Yeah, there's this one guy named Warcomedes, and there's this other guy who I hate. Both of them are awful. There's some other guy named Dungal. And Dungal, he, the thing is, the description of him would make him sound cool. He's like a bancho. He's dressed like one, but he's got a lobster claw for one hand, and he's got two bolts in his head. Yeah. And these are such shit characters. He is not as cool as he sounds like, though. 
I'm going to spoil the ending for you. He gets blown up, and it takes 26 episodes after that middle section for him to get blown up. You yeah. don't care about this. I hate talking about the second half of this show. It's shitty. It's awful. It's really annoying. Why did you keep watching? I don't, we kept hoping it would get better again. The Gundam and Sea the Destiny is, effect. <laughs> yes. I've watched 20, 30-some episodes. Well, shit, I may as well watch the rest. I've reached past the halfway point. But happened. I will give the second half credit. There were episodes in there that were amazingly bad. Not just regular <laughs> bad. There was an episode in there where there was this one girl who was trying to save her scientist father. <laughs> yes! And apparently... Best part then, of the second half of the show. Yeah, really it is. And then Hyoma, <laughs> remember, he's the main hot-blooded male character, goes and rescues the father. And so he's dragging him away... And then all of a sudden they realize, holy shit, he's got bombs all over him. And then the daughter runs up, grabs the father, jumps off the cliff, and they both explode. Yes, and like right in midair, sail off the cliff, and bam, they both And the thing like is, you can show just together. that clip because there aren't bombs attached to him or anything. He just explodes, and you don't have to explain <laughs> anything. There are a couple of episodes like that that are amazingly bad. I also liked the plot to take over the world by making thousands of robot duplicates of Juzo. As yeah, no that one was... would notice that... That was another terrible one. It wasn't one. really him. <laughs> but, again, those were few and far between. So that's why I'm telling you the second half of the show, at episode 26, stop watching. If you're yes. actually going to give the show a shot. How would you go about giving an old show like that a shot? Are there torrents of it? Yes. This seems like these are Hong Kong rips, so I don't feel bad mm. about downloading them. Yeah, the subtitles are a little iffy. They are a little iffy. They're readable than they're more readable than most Hong Kong rips are. Oh yeah, I've seen much worse. <laughs> I remember that there were actually some people who commented on the show, and this one guy was saying that he watched up to nine episodes and gave up. Mm. And I can see that. I think that the first yeah. half has more. That conclusion of the it. first story arc is amazing. Like yeah. seriously, you can probably skip a lot of the episodes in the first story arc because it is very much an episodic giant robot show. But see enough to then watch that ending of that first story arc, because it is so good. The episode that I had seen, because I don't really make it down to these showings very much, so I caught episode four. Very early on, the team's still getting together. And oh, yeah, where they get their weapon, which right, I Right, where they're trying to figure out what weapons they should use. <laughs> they oh. turn on the TV, and it cuts to live-action footage of a yo-yo team. A Japanese yeah. yo-yo team. And since the scientist, because all these robot shows have some scientist in charge of the robot, is that a huge is drunk, he Professor sees it on TV and he gets his divine inspiration. <laughs> and that's why Combattler V has the Chodenji yo-yo attack. Yes. yes. That was pretty classic. <clears throat> yeah, doesn't he also have, like, moment. skill crane as an attack? No. No, he doesn't. But he has the big blast, which is my favorite attack. The cock rocket? <laughs> That is exactly what it is, and there's no time that this is not used in this show that you don't want to laugh. No. And it's positioned right at his crotch. Very much like just... Grandizer. Yes, yeah. and it's like this biggest attack. I mean, it's called the Big Blast, so mm. what an appropriate name. But he has some there... other really lame attacks. But... Yeah, in fact, there's this one attack that they even use in that 26th episode, and they use it in like the 51st episode, right around the end, where Combattler curls up like... I don't know, some sort of car or something, and then drives towards the evil, the villain really fast, and then jumps. Fly he, right like, generates a beam of light first, yes, and then he and drives then... on it like a road, and then slams through the enemy, and the enemy will never move. It's so lame, and it's the big climax 
thing that he only uses twice but in the show. But it looks really retarded. The thing is, this is a show that's really, like I said in Didn't previous age episodes. Well. <laughs> yeah, I've got the mind of a 14 year old, so I was thoroughly entertained mm. in the first part of it. It yeah. does have lame episodes in the first part of it, and mm. like Clarissa said, you can skip a bunch of it. But that 24, 25, 26, hold on for that. It's worth it. Yes. I advise you either to stop or to watch one episode beyond that. And then you yeah. will see the lameness of those villains. And mm -hmm. when we saw those villains, we were like, these guys cannot stick around. They just cannot stick around. They're too and pathetic. And they did. 26 episodes of the lamest bullshit villains you've ever seen. And I kept waiting for Empress Janela to finally be cool and kill off Dungada because he was so stupid, but she never did it. There is this one episode that sticks in my mind as the most annoying thing ever. Now, we all know that the good guys will never actually die, but there is an episode where Princess Janela invites the entire Combatler team to this mansion. Oh, God. And her entire purpose of this entire show is to kill the Combatler team. And she's got them all there in a room, and she feeds them this wine. And this wine knocks them out. And they're all there sleeping in front of her. She can just go up to them and stab them in the neck and they're dead. She but could no. have poisoned them instead of knocking them out with the wine. She puts them in a dungeon and doesn't do anything to them and leaves them alone. Of course, we would know that she wouldn't actually kill them. But to put them in a situation like that, that is yeah. just so obviously smack your hand against your head bullshit, just... So at the so same time, hurts. it shows for eight-year-olds or six-year-olds or something like that, right? Yeah, the thing is, the second half of it really is totally, totally is. The first half of it probably was made for them, but as you said, they just weren't getting that audience. This is a total geek out. We're talking seriously about a show that is made <laughs> for seven-year-olds. Everyone knows we're losers already, so there's nothing much we can say. It's a total geek out. Like I said, the first half, watch it. Stop at episode twenty-six. Second half. Yeah. Burn it. If you can get a DVD, burn it on DVD and burn the DVD. Yeah, pretty much. So that's a look at Combat Alert Day. And now I'm going to talk about something that I've been talking about on and off again in this podcast a lot, which is Saint Seiya. It originally started as a manga by Masami Kuramata. If any of you have seen BTX or uh, Ring Nikakero, it's done by the same guy. In late 1985, he started doing a manga called Saint Seiya. Years ago, he had taken a trip to Greece. And he really liked the architecture, and he really liked Greek mythology. He really wanted to do a series using all that Greek influence, the Greek mythology and whatnot. So he began Saint Seiya. 
which was about a group of five young guys who are what they call saints. They're basically holy warriors that are meant to protect the goddess Athena. The series was very shortly afterwards picked up and Toei Animation started doing a TV anime. The series is most well-known, actually, through the anime version, as opposed to the manga. And this series ended up becoming wildly popular. It's probably one of the most massive properties in the history of anime and manga. Yeah, it really is. It's known everywhere in the world except America, basically. Yeah. The manga ran No, it's known in America as Knights of the Zodiac, and they got that Flock of Seagulls cover, and... (laughs) It was dubbed by Deke and by AEV, and it's smash hit. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well... I'll and that's a competently about... handled release. I'll probably talk about that later. I've talked about some of that already in previous episodes, but I'll touch on that again later. So the Saint Seiya manga ended up running for 28 volumes. Also, as recently as 2002, in Champion Red magazine... There was another manga called Saint Seiya Episode G, which was written by Kuramata, but drawn by somebody else. It was drawn by Megumu Okada. And in 2006, this year, Kuramata started a new Saint Seiya manga, Saint Seiya Next Dimension Meio Shinwa. And he's drawing it? Yes, I believe he is. The anime series ran for 114 episodes. They also did four, actually, I think it might be five now, movies for Saint Seiya. They've released a new series of OAVs that cover the last storyline from the manga that was previously not done in the TV series. So, Saint Seiya is actually still going today. This thing is just massive, and it's hard to talk about it because it's just so huge. There's so much anime and so much manga. It's also not just big in Japan, but it's big basically everywhere in the world. In 19... 88, uh, only a couple years after it started, it was released in France. It's been released in Brazil. It's been released in, I think, Indonesia and the Philippines. It's come out in lots of other Latin American countries like Mexico and Chile and Argentina. And It's been in China and Taiwan. It's come out in Italy and Portugal. It aired in Belgium. That's ex- an extension of France, so... <laughs> yeah. Although the Belgians will hate hearing that. That is like the Robotech of France, though, isn't it? A lot of the anime parodies that I see come out of France always talk about Saint Seiya. Yeah, it's very influential in a lot of these other countries to an extent that Robotech was here, and maybe also stuff like Star Blazers, in that in a lot of these countries where this series got popular, like France and a lot of these Spanish-speaking countries and Italy, Saint Seiya was either single-handedly responsible for creating a huge interest in anime and manga in that country, or it greatly increased an interest in anime and manga in that country. The series is responsible for a hell of a lot of the spread of anime and manga and the popularity of anime and manga outside of Japan. Of course, America, for some reason, nobody ever got around to getting the series back in the 80s when everybody else was watching it and when it was really huge and they decided not to pick it up until only a few years ago it did indeed air on cartoon network unfortunately 
It was called Knights of the Zodiac, which is the title that Saint Seiya goes by in most other countries that it's released in. Didn't it have, like, a totally awesome time slot, too, at, like, Saturday night? Yeah, the TV airing of Saint Seiya here was a complete and total disaster. The dub was absolutely terrible. It was pretty heavily edited. It sounds like a dub that was made in, like, the early 90s. Pretty heavily edited. Didn't they, like, make their blood green? Blue or something like that. And they made one of them a surfer, I remember. A very typical early 90s, late 80s thing to do. Yeah, that's what I mean. Is like People had these crazy surfer accents. Who has that anymore? They did have that horrible Flock of Seagulls cover for no reason that I can figure out as the opening theme. It was so bad. And it had a horrible time slot. And so, of course, nobody watched it. ADV's releasing the series on DVD. They're releasing it uncut. So what is Saint Seiya about? Now, Saint Seiya is, as I mentioned, about five young men who fight to protect the goddess Athena and also fight for justice and such. They're young men in the sense that they're 14, but they look 30. Well, they don't look 30 to the extent like in JoJo's (laughs) or anything. It's not that bad, but... They They certainly don't look like teenagers. No, they don't really look 15 either. Saint Seiya is a super-powered fighting show. It isn't just regular martial arts. All of the saints have their own, like, special abilities and their own special attacks. And the way it works is that every person has the same potential to use these abilities in them. The concept that they use in the series is that each atom in your body is like small little solar system and so your entire body put together is kind of like a small universe and they call it a cosmos and what saints are able to do is through training and through their own increased potential they're able to harness the energy of that from within themselves and use it to be stronger than normal people and also to do these special attacks for whatever kind of ones they have because they're all different the cloth that they wear, which is something that's really distinctive about Saint Seiya, is if you notice, everybody has different armor. They each have specific cloths, and most of the cloths come from the constellations. There are some also that are based off of different zodiac symbols. And what the cloths do is the cloths help the saints to increase the power from their cosmos and to help them focus it. And it also helps to protect their bodies, because the thing is, the saints are really not physically much different from normal people. Before they undergo the training and all, they really are just completely average people. So they can get hurt without too much difficulty in the same ways that regular people can get hurt. And the power that they can put out from their attacks is strong enough that most of their bodies unprotected wouldn't really be able to withstand it, so they wouldn't really be able to fight very well. And the cloths are incredibly strong and help to protect their bodies and and also increase their strength. So the main focus of at least the first storyline of Saint Seiya, both in the manga and in the anime, is that the saints are based mostly out of this place in Greece called Sanctuary, which is tucked away from where people in the regular modern world know where it is or can see it. And this is where most of the saints are trained and they get their cloths granted to them when they've earned them. And this is where Athena usually rules the human world from, because Athena is the goddess that is given domain over the human world. 
And directly under her running Sanctuary is Pope of Sanctuary. Well, before the beginning of the series, Pope Ares takes over Sanctuary, tries to kill Athena, doesn't succeed. And so Athena is now away from Sanctuary, and Ares has control. And Ares is not a good guy. He's pretty evil, and some of the saints are working for him willingly. But some of the saints who are good individuals have been controlled and manipulated by Ares into doing his bidding. And some of the ones that refuse are just taken out. This is what I mean when I say that when you try and describe the plot of a fighting show, it sounds like it's so (laughs) complex. But it's really about pretty boys in armor fighting while planets explode in the background. Pretty much. It really is. I mean, there's a certain amount of politics with, like, these gods are fighting with each other over control of the human world or whatever, and, oh, the Pope's taken over from Athena, and now the five of these guys have got to go take on, like, every other saint in existence in Sanctuary and get their asses kicked while they're at it. I've seen a bunch of Saint Seiya, and that is the first time I've actually heard the storyline actually summed up. Because I had no idea what the storyline was before. Yeah, Yeah, to me the storyline was guy gets the shit beat out of him for like ten episodes, then has a big revealing moment, and then beats the dude with one move because the same (laughs) move never works twice or something like that. No one's allowed to die unless they get permission from Athena first. That was my idea what the story of Saint Seiya was about. Now one thing to add though, the fights in the show are brutal though. I've yep. seen the show in French, and I saw a bunch of it in Spanish, and I just remember that they don't pull any punches, really, with the brutality of the fighting in it. They don't, and that's one of the reasons why they had to mess around with the blood, because Saint Seiya gets pretty bloody. Like I said, these guys are human beings. You know, they contain not, about 50 gallons of blood. They're high pressure. They're not, like, yes. super-powered and vulnerable tanks. They get fucked up just like anybody else if they were to get punched or kicked or whatever. Yeah, some of the fights are really harsh. I mean, one of my favorite ones to this day is still where Shiryu has to fight dude that's got the Medusa shield, and it can turn you to stone, and so he can't look at the guy, and he tries, like, all the regular stuff. Like, he tries, oh, I'll look in my shield. Oh, that doesn't work. Oh, I'll try, you know, closing my eyes or blindfolding myself. That doesn't work. So he has to gouge his own eyes out. Like, he has to actually blind himself physically, in order to be able to fight this dude. And is he blind forever after that, or does he get better? He's blind for a long time. I think he does eventually get his sight back, if I remember. But it's not like, oh, you know... It's not like Riccio. No, it's not like last episode I was blind, but oh, I'm better now. He really has to deal with not being able to see for a good long time, and it's pretty difficult for them to actually be able to fix his eyes. It has the pitfalls of any shonen fighting series, in that yeah, it can get repetitive. Sometimes there are fights that drag on too long. Mostly what I remember about Saint Seiya is the first storyline. And most of the fights in that last, like, maybe a couple of episodes. Like, they usually stretch over one or two episodes. They're not, like, ridiculously long. Once you get later on and they're fighting, like, really crazy powerful people, then of course you have fights that take a lot longer because the people they're fighting are really powerful. How would you say the movies stack up to the show? I think only one of them is a full-length movie. They're all right. I mean, they're decent watches, and they have some cool scenes in them, but wouldn't say they're, like, super amazing. Of course, I, I've watched them with terrible Hong Kong stubs that 
didn't really make much sense. <laughs> so it's kind of hard for me to speak as to what actually went on in any of those movies. <laughs> what do you think of the U.S. releases? You mentioned the Deke localization. Yeah, What's that... the deal with it on DVD? The DVDs have it uncut and subtitled and also with a different dub that's been done by ADV. The subtitles are pretty good. I have some complaints. There were some really stupid typos. They misspelled Ares as Arliss for a few discs. Robert Wall. And then fixed it. If they spelled then... it with dollar signs, then okay. that would be a real complaint. <laughs> no, no. It was like A-R-L-E-S instead of A-R-E-S. Which, that's yeah. Dunbine level mistakes. Yeah, and then there were some other weird mistranslations. There was like one attack that I could think of that was mis-subtitled, even though the attack was said in English. And that's really strange because... I was at a uh, panel for ADV. They talked about Saint Seiya. This was before Saint Seiya was actually being released. And they said that one guy at ADV, his entire life, his entire job, was Saint Seiya. Well, he's that, not doing a very good job. Yeah, he had to I, take care of everything with Saint Seiya. And, although I feel sorry for that guy, because from what I'm gathering, Saint Seiya did not do well in any format in America. Yeah, well, yeah, well I can't blame is, it. Cause... 20 years too late. The fact of the matter is, is that most people are not going to watch something like that that looks obviously like it came out of the 80s, regardless. So they're so. going to watch something like Combatler that came out of the 70s, yeah! <laughs> Maybe a giant robo that came out in the 90s, but it's intentionally drawn to make it look like it's from the 60s in a way. <laughs> so we cover all nicer the decades of anime yeah. that people yeah. aren't going to watch. <laughs> Yeah, they just missed the boat on it. It's pretty sad, and I don't know what happened. I don't know why nobody ever picked it up. Or... I know why exactly, because they sat some executive down, and they showed them the fight scenes, and they showed them a scene of a 14-year-old kid getting his arm cut off, blood <laughs> spurting out of it, and they said, fuck no, we're not putting that yeah, on TV. That's probably... Because I remember watching this, and it is kind of disturbing to see these teenage kids get brutalized the way that the show brutalizes them, all the time. There is no, like, let's go shopping episode ever. It yeah. is, it's just like it the is... passion of the schoolboy. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, the only time they really get breaks is when they have to be in the hospital recovering from their injuries. And then so it just cuts to the other guy who gets brutalized. And don't constantly. they die, like, six times? <laughs> like, isn't the end of every story arc they all get killed? Because there's oh, only so much beatings a man can take. <laughs> I and then don't Athena says, like dude, clear. dude, just stay down. You die. <laughs> Come on, okay. Yeah. I can't deny that the series has its ridiculousness and its flaws, but... Saint Seiya, like I said, is a long show. It's kind of like buying Kenshin, or buying Bleach, or buying any of those like long fighting shows. There's a lot of episodes, and so that's going to be a lot of discs. I'm not especially happy with shows like that being released one disc at a time, or buying them one disc at a time, because it just gets to be so ridiculously expensive. They have started releasing thin packs for Saint Seiya. Cover, it looks like, about 30 episodes per thin pack. And those are pretty normally priced. That's probably a better option than buying the individual discs, unless you can do like me and find one of those sales that's got the individual discs in the art boxes for like four bucks a piece, which is how I ended up getting it. Yeah, ADV does a lot of those sales, and they have Saint Seiya on there. Maybe As it's of this because recording. they kind of criminally mishandled it in a lot of ways, and if you mm -hmm. want proof of that, just 
turn your TV over to the Anime Network one day. Oh, oh God. God. And, and, and not take a look at that ADV ad for Saint Seiya. Ad is Don't no longer there. Don't mention that ad. I'm going to cry. Oh, gone good. forever. Would you say to someone that they can go out and get, say, Ronin Warriors for a lot less money and basically get the same sort of show in a lot less time? Ronin Warriors, a.k.a. Euroidan Samurai Troopers, as well as Heavenly War Shirado, are both shows that came out after Saint Seiya in an attempt to capitalize on Saint Seiya's popularity. Neither one of them did as well as Saint Seiya. I am a fan of Samurai Troopers. I do own almost all of it on DVD. I would say that that is a series that's worth picking up, and it definitely is shorter than Saint Seiya, so it will be cheaper overall. I think it's something that would be a good watch, and I would recommend picking up. But I think that there's a lot of differences in tone and such between Saint Seiya and Ronin Warrior, so I don't really know if they'd be equivalent. Because it seemed to me like both shows essentially were just fighting, and I just remember that Ronin Warriors, the fights were over in less than... Well, it didn't take as long, just because there wasn't as much time to pad them out. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it is a shorter show overall, and so... I don't know, it's a good show. I like Ronin Warriors. I don't know if I can really say that it's equivalent to Saint Seiya. Neither of those other Saint Seiya-esque shows did as well as Saint Seiya, so that might tell you something. That most people, I guess, don't seem to think that those shows are as good as Saint Seiya. I definitely recommend checking out Ronin Warriors as well, though. I like Shirado a lot from the few episodes of it I ever saw. Shirado is good. Shirado has yeah, not been I... released here officially, though. It is being fansubbed. It is being fansubbed very, very slowly. I actually like the ripoffs of Saint Seiya more than I like Saint Seiya. I don't I know. Think I think I that they... might agree with that. I think I, th I think that they fixed the things that Saint Seiya got wrong. Yeah, but I give Saint Seiya a pass because it was first of the pretty boys in armor <laughs> yeah, on the I mean, block, I don't and it's know. still being made. It's like their Saint Seiya Hades, those OAVs. Yeah. It's the still just as super yeah. crazy as it always was, but the animation's a lot nicer. Yeah, pretty much. So. Well, of course, we must address the most important thing about Saint Seiya of all, the enormous amount of gay anal sex that has been written about Saint Seiya. Yeah, there is a vast, vast array of all kinds of man sex that was spawned by Saint Seiya. Cause... Half of it written by Clarissa herself. Yes. No, I, I don't, I've never actually written Saint Seiya man sex, unfortunately. I should get on that. They gotta be as rude as rude can be. Yes, well, it's a shonen action series, and that means lots and lots of guy characters that are usually pretty attractive, of wildly different personality types, so anybody can find one that they like. And there's usually not that many girls in those shows. And the girls usually don't have that much to do. So it's a perfect opportunity for dudes being rude. And that concludes show number 21 of Anime World Order. Since this was such an old and such a metal show, if at any point you were listening to this and said, what the fuck are those people talking about? Go over to our website www.animeworldorder.com and check out our show notes. We've got, more often than not, when I remember to do it, notes explaining at least some of what we were talking about. And it's worthwhile. And while you're there, leave some comments on the page. Sign our Frapper map. Voting for Daryl Surratt, of course. Then email us at animeworldorder.gmail.com with your thoughts, questions, comments, suggestions. Leave us voicemail at 206 
That's 206-666-4AWO. And since Skype allows free calls to anywhere in the U.S. and Canada now, if you've got a PC and you've got a microphone, come on, folks. It's free. Doesn't cost anything. We want to hear from you. Every PC has a microphone, so don't no excuses there. And if someone doesn't call in and leave us voicemail messages after 30 days, we lose that number forever. So please call us. Leave us. Because it would be too much trouble for us to call the line ourselves. We can't do it ourselves. No, that's cheating. It's against the rules. Speaking of being against the rules and outside the rules, now that we're past the episode 21 mark, we can just cut loose. So next episode is going to be the all-otaku episode, baby. And you may think, oh, every episode's the all-otaku episode, but we're going to rack it up a notch. Yeah, as if discussing shows about giant robots that were made for eight-year-olds in a serious manner wasn't bad enough, I'm going to be taking a look at Otaku no Video, the old Gainax work. The cartoon about talking about people who watch cartoons a lot. Right. Yeah. I'm going to be taking a look at a series that we've been talking about on this show, and actually just talked about this episode, Genshiken, which is also a show about people like us who sit there and watch cartoons and have no life. That just makes me depressed because of all the news we've heard about it, but oh well. Well, now we can remember the good times. And I'm going to review the manga Welcome to the NHK, which is going to be made into an anime later this year, so yeah, we're not getting a second season of Genshiken, but there's this. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. We'll see you around, folks.